Hi, this is Gordon Russell, host of The Neutral Ground, the New Orleans Advocate's weekly podcast on the stories behind some of the stories that are making waves in South Louisiana this week. Thanks to our sponsors, Gardner Realtors, and thank you for joining us. Okay, today's episode will be a little bit different than the usual format. We're going to devote today's entire podcast to a discussion with John Zimmerman, an investigative reporter here at The Advocate, about his latest project, a four-part series called Broken Trust, because I think it's an important one. John, thanks for being here. Thanks, Jim Gordon. So for the last year and a half or so, John has been making regular trips to New Iberia to better understand a major policing scandal that erupted there a couple of years ago. Uh, the scandal centered on the Iberia Parish Sheriff's Office and in particular on its narcotics squad, which was the subject of a huge federal civil rights investigation. And the gist of it was that deputies had been carrying out a sort of racist reign of terror in New Iberia's West End, a poor and heavily African-American community that has been a hotbed of drug sales and violence. In the end, about a dozen deputies were charged and pled guilty to civil rights charges, mostly related to unjustified beatings and in some cases planting drugs on people and arresting them. It was one of the biggest police scandals in the country in the last decade, I'd say, but as we'll discuss, the feds didn't really get their man in the end. Louis Ackle, the Iberia Parish Sheriff, was tried and acquitted on charges that he masterminded this whole thing. John, maybe you can start by just telling us a little bit about New Iberia for those unfamiliar. Where exactly is it? What what sort of a community is it? Uh, What are the demographics and so forth? Sure. Uh, New Iberia is about a half an hour's drive uh, south of Lafayette. Uh, so it's sort of, uh, you know, within driving distance of Baton Rouge. It's a couple hours uh, away from New Orleans. And it's a old uh, Louisiana city. Uh, it's about 30,000 people, uh, mostly white, uh, kind of very separated in terms of race and wealth. Uh, a lot of the uh, wealthier folks live along Bayou Teche. Uh, the downtown Main Street there is a very quaint old uh, Main Street, but very close to that Main Street across the tracks. In fact, uh, within you know a mile or two is the West End, which is uh, a whole other kind of neighborhood uh, in terms of the level of poverty and um, and violence and drug dealing. And that's a heavily African American neighborhood, right? It's about eighty percent black. Okay, and the city overall is has is a majority white city, but with a substantial black minority. Correct, uh, about a third black. Okay. So about this federal investigation, maybe you can tell us what the feds were looking into and you know, what prompted them to look into it and what they started finding out. Well, there are a number of allegations that uh, they were looking into, uh, three sort of separate incidents, two of them in the jail, uh, the Iberia Parish Jail, uh, which the Sheriff Louis Ackle, Louis Ackle also oversees and still does. Uh, there were a couple incidents there, uh, one of which uh, had video that, that uh, got out um, with a, an inmate being beaten uh, and uh, attacked by a police dog uh, in a jail. That was in 2012. Uh, an earlier incident, uh, sort of the most notorious one, was in April 2011. That's the one that was really the focus mm-hmm. of the trial, uh, which was a bunch of deputies uh, taking inmates, four of them, into the jail chapel where they had no cameras, mm-hmm. uh, specifically, allegedly, because they had no cameras and uh, sort of one by one beating them uh, there, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 that was the focus of the trial. There there was another incident that actually wasn't part of the trial, which was uh, the death of, of Victor White III, who was a young man who uh, was shot in the chest while handcuffed from behind in the back seat of a sheriff's patrol car. That was deemed 
a suicide, uh, that, that somehow he had a gun and he shot himself there. Nevertheless, uh, this year, uh, Ackles' office settled with the um, mother of Victor White's young son. Um, mm-hmm. So so there was some resolution to that case. It did not show up at the trial, though. That, that was not one of the things that federal prosecutors were uh, trying to pin on, on Sheriff right. Ackles. So over all these cases, and in the course of the trial, these deputies, all of whom pled guilty, they sort of talked about this larger culture at the department in which they would chase people down in the West End and beat them. This was was in an effort to clamp down on drug dealing violence in some ways. This was their method of policing, but... In some cases, they said they did it just for sport or, or what have you as well. Right. They called them jump-out crews. Uh, they were groups of narcotics deputies that would basically go, uh, you know, cruising around trying to clear the streets, allegedly, uh, you know, Ackles' request. Uh, they would run out on, on people on the street, and if they ran, according to these deputies, they were in for an automatic beating. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes uh, these deputies admitted to, to doing that just... Um, because in one case, deputies got drunk at, at one of their houses uh, late at night and decided to go you know, beat the first uh, couple of residents they found and, and did so, um, ended up getting chased and caught, and that uh, led to uh, being in Sheriff Ackle's office in which he allegedly uh, uh, let loose a racial slur, which I won't repeat, but the gist uh, for the deputies, according to them, was that they felt protected, they felt like anything they did as long as they covered it up well, uh, they could do. He sort of said this was nothing, but this is no big deal, and he covered it up. And so that sort of set the tone. And just bigger picture, Ackle had been sheriff. He was a former state policeman, or is a former state policeman, who uh, was elected sheriff in 2008, correct? Right. The election was in 2007. He took over uh, his first full year in 2008. Uh, he had been retired from state police from, from narcotics. Uh, he, he had moved to Colorado for a couple of years and, and, and came back to his hometown, which is New Iberia, uh, to uh, reform, uh, to make changes uh, to the sheriff's office, uh, which, you know, the way he described it was a mess. So he came in in 2008 and he's been sheriff ever since. And the, this incident in which he condoned the beating of these uh, black youths was kind of, the way some deputies characterized it was sort of setting the tone for what he expected out of his department, which was, in, in other words, the word of that spread around and it was... It and that was, incident came early. That yeah. was in 2008. His first it, year in office. Correct. So the feds, in sort of a classic federal food chain investigation sort of way, they get guilty pleas from all these deputies, and they all testify against Sackle in a trial that was held in Shreveport, 200 miles to the north, in order to uh, have an unbiased jury. That was and, it. And... Uh, and Ackle is acquitted. And he's acquitted. And it's a federal system, and he was acquitted by unanimous jury. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think uh, it's fair to say that um, tying Ackle to these alleged acts, to the admitted acts of these deputies, um, the idea that he ordered them couldn't uh, you know be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. There's no question that... The acts know, occurred. The acts occurred, and that's sort of what the story is about. Is you know, regardless of uh, of where you put the blame, uh, there's little doubt that that uh, some of this unconstitutional policing, unlawful beatings of residents on the street and in the jail was taking place over many years. So Ackles' defense, essentially his successful defense, was I didn't know this was going on, and these were rogue deputies who are now trying to save their own hides by testifying against me. Right. They're professional liars. They're 
sometimes working undercover. They're really good liars, and they're doing it right here. Okay. So that worked, and so Ackle comes back to town, and he's still he's still the sheriff. As we speak, he's still the sheriff. As we speak, he is the sheriff. Uh, he still oversees the jail. Uh, he's 75 years old. He says he has no plans to run uh, when he's next up in 2020, or, that, or at least uh, he told me that a long time ago. Uh, and um, he came back and said, I'm going to clean up my shop. I didn't know these things were going on, and I'm back now. So what what did you find in your visits to the West End? I mean, you started going there sort of in the wake of this trial and in the wake of some ways of this is a community that always had a sort of fraught relationship with law enforcement, but they've now heard these new revelations kind of of how they were viewed by law enforcement in some ways. What did you see about what did you discover in that community? I think one of the most striking things just in talking to people over the course of time, you know, you, you might go into a community like this and there are certain uh, subgroups of people who have an antipathy for police and who mistrust or distrust the, uh, law enforcement. In, in, new, in the West End, it's almost universal. I mean, it's folks of all sort of walks who live there who just had a distrust, if not disgust, for the deputies who were under regardless of whether these were law-abiding people or not that's exactly right everybody seemed to suggest that they they had no trust Uh, yeah i wouldn't say everybody let's not say everybody but but you know a wide cross-section of that neighborhood um it was clearly damaged Mm -hmm. relationship um so one day when you while you were there uh, a man was shot on the street in the west end called shot street uh, maybe we can listen to the 911 tape of that call 911 where's your emergency uh, somebody just got shot on shot street baby what's the address uh, he, he, uh, I had to call on shot in uh, mississippi he's in the middle of the street shot in mississippi street yes ma'am you know the suspect is still there? I know. I don't know. I just heard some shots. I come run to the door and saw him laying on the ground. Okay, man. What's your name? My name is Loretta. So you spoke with this woman, John, uh, Loretta Henry, after some time after this. Maybe you can start by telling us about her and also maybe start by telling us about her house. She lives in one of these so-called mix-in homes. What, what are those houses? Yeah, the mix-in homes are these little shotgun houses, very spare. They're identical, 20 of them running down the block where there were. Um, many of them have been torn down since, but they were these little 600-square-foot shotguns that were kind of caked in mold and, and really um, dilapidated. Uh, you know, the surroundings around them, there are mobile homes that are dilapidated. It's sort of a, a neighborhood that really strikes you for the housing and, and how grim it is there. And these were built in the early 50s by the Mixon family. They were a family of lumber mill operators and construction folks who, uh, when when work was slow, they, they built these very cheap houses up real quick and uh, as rentals. They've right. always been rentals. They still own the mix-ins, uh, uh, many of the, of the homes there. And uh, they had, over the years, you know, as drugs came into the neighborhood in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, they sort of kept getting worse and worse. And by the time this shooting happened, uh, there were only three of them on the block that were occupied. Uh, Loretta Henry's was one of them on the corner and her house had been shot into or shot through or at. Uh, 
several times uh, prior to this one. You you noticed there was a I think you reported there was a some some bullet damage to her TV and then there was a couple of other evidence of some other shootings. Yeah, she walked me through there at one point after uh, several weeks after the shooting and, and and showed me you know where she lives and and some of the damage of the bullets that have come through there. And so when she heard the shooting on this particular day, she what was her reaction? I mean, she she got down on the floor and called 911. She was right there. I mean, the shooting happened 15, 20 feet from her front door, um, and she dove to the floor. Uh, she was the first one to call 911 when the, the shooting stopped, and she knew the victim, uh, Sean Benjamin, who was out on the street. Uh, she told me that the dispatcher uh, or the medical person suggested that she uh, put uh, something to, to put pressure on on the wounds, but uh, she didn't know where to begin because he'd been shot uh, at least a dozen times. And then he, this guy, Sean Benjamin, actually survived that shooting, right? He did. I tried to track him down a few times uh, and uh, unsuccessfully, but he survived. He went to the hospital. He gave police a description of who shot him, um, and uh, but then left then took off for Texas. Wasn't that interested in helping to prosecute this guy? He did not want to meet with prosecutors afterwards after he left the hospital or police. He uh you know, somebody on the street told me that uh, he was uh, actually a cousin of the shooter, um, and he did not want to participate in any prosecution. Now, let's listen to a little more audio. This is uh, Sheriff Ackle arriving on the scene. Got a fucking gun this day. The, uh, the, the guy that was killed in the Lincoln shot his buddy in the ass while he was firing back at him. Huh. That gun, everything was cleaned up by these wonderful fucking animals that never see shit. So... It was a little bit hard to understand him there, but then there was some cursing. But but the gist of what the sheriff is saying, I think, is is that these the people in this community don't cooperate with law enforcement. Is that right? Sheriff Ackle has sort of you know repeatedly talked about how uh, people in the West End don't come forward and identify you know the shooters or the the assailants in in these crimes, and that's sort of a running theme for him. Is he you know he's expressing a lot of frustration at, at the lack of cooperation. And then that's what he's doing here. He's talking about a different shooting, uh, but similar in that there's no gun. Nobody seems to have seen anything. So, I mean, what do we make of his com? I mean, it's it's interesting to me that in some sense, both the community and the sheriff seem to be saying the same thing in different ways. I mean, I guess there's, you could almost say there's mutual contempt, but they, they both seem to agree that something's broken here. I think that's right. I think there is sort of a mutual distrust or distance, um, and they both acknowledge it, and there's sort of an impasse here. And, you know, its effects on public safety are, um, you know, play out kind of with each case, uh, you know, when witnesses don't come forward and whatnot. And I think, you know, what they, what he's expressing is something is he's expressed for a long time, which is that I need help. I can't help you if you can't help me. You spoke with the district attorney also in the course of reporting this story, right? Beaufield Dewey is his name, right? Mm-hmm, Beau Dewey. Um, what what does he say about all this, and how has he, did he talk about how this lack of trust has made it more difficult to successfully prosecute cases? Well, what he says is that this is a relatively recent phenomenon. Certainly, in the neighborhoods like this, there's you know there's fear of retaliation, and that has been around for a while. But but you know he is saying that it's gotten worse and more widespread in the last you know you know since all of this has occurred. And uh, in other you know, words, he attributes it partly to this to this 
scandal. This impasse with law enforcement. Uh-huh. This community has with law enforcement, and and he won't, you know, say it's directly related to the scandal. In fact, there are very few people in the city who will sort of directly criticize Ackle um, even now. Um, but but the way he describes it is really this is sort of taking its toll. Um, it, you know, actually his office hasn't convicted anybody of first or second degree murder since 2015. And, and I think some of that owes to um, witnesses who just aren't willing to cooperate with law enforcement. It's interesting what you said about, um, I, I think you said that you've got some feedback from people who, from the city of New Iberia who weren't familiar with some of these allegations, or not allegations, some of these proven crimes committed by law enforcement. And it seems like in some sense maybe this is a town that has a daily newspaper, but a small daily newspaper, and this wasn't a story that was widely covered by any media, really. And so it's, in the you know, did you find that this is something that isn't even that well-known in this community? Yeah, I mean, I was a little bit surprised. You know, I spent time up there and asking people, you know, in various um, kind of scenarios, you know, what did you think about this anecdote or this admission that came out of the trial or that? And you, you find that, you know, people heard as much as they wanted to hear. A lot of people, you know, didn't necessarily weren't up on all of what happened mm-hmm. um, and all of what came out of that trial. And some of it was, you know, the, that there was so much people might not have wanted to dive in. But that's what I found is that a lot of people sort of had a, a sort of a vague idea. They had a, an idea of what happened during the, in the jail because a lot of that came out. But some of the other stuff that was going on on the street that these deputies admitted to was stuff that people knew, but not in sort of like out in your face. Mm-hmm. Here it is. This is a deputy who's testifying to it. And, right. and sort of, I don't know that the full sort of breadth of what was being alleged um, was you know, that well known. Whereas if it was, if it had happened in a place like New Orleans, it would have been on four TV stations and in the newspapers every that's day. Right. And it's the trial, as you said, was held 200 miles away. Let's listen to a little more audio. This is uh, a woman named Robbie Bethel who spoke to you about uh, uh, the relationship between police and, and the community there. Of course, we can't do it alone. It takes citizens to work along with law enforcement. You have to have a partnership, a real trust, because your job is to go out there and and, and look into these things. But when a person, when they start to feel like they can't trust law enforcement, the badge, period, and they start to look at all law enforcement and that light. No community can survive without law enforcement. Um, so that's Robbie Bethel. Who, and tell us who she is again. She's an activist in the neighborhood. She, her mother was the first uh, elected black school board, African-American school board member in Iberia Parish. Um, she was very involved in the community. She was involved in getting the shot street houses, uh, at least the ones, those mixing homes torn down. Um, and she's... She's been around. She grew up in the West End. Uh, she's in her late 50s. And uh, she really feels like this was a community that was silenced by this uh, abuse over so many years and uh, couldn't speak and, and wouldn't speak. Um, and so it sort of sat there in this neighborhood for a long time. John, I was fascinated by the second piece of the series, which talked about the troubled history between the black community and in in Iberia Parish and law enforcement going back many decades Tell us a little bit about what you found there. Well, there's a long history of 
of deputy sheriffs in Iberia Parish, uh, this story doing violence on uh, the black community in Iberia, we're in New Iberia, and this story focuses on Gus Walker, who's a sheriff in the 40s, who I focused on two incidents, um, one in which he shot and killed a black man who supposedly had been dating his stepdaughter. This was in the early 40s. And I spoke with the victim's niece and dug up some records that verify that he did indeed shoot this young man, whether he shot him in cold blood um, or not. In cold blood or not is a question. And then, and then Gus Walker went on several years later to be involved in um, a little bit of a more no- notorious uh, incident in New Iberia where the sheriff and, and Walker participated in booting four black citizens of New Iberia kind out of, of the city. Prominent, actors. prominent two doctors included, beat them and, and drove them outside the city and told them to get lost. And this was over an effort to start a welding program for uh, African-Americans in the city. And one of these guys actually died from the, his injuries in that beating. Right? Correct, not yeah. too long afterward. And that was something that was a subject of an early FBI kind of civil rights investigation, right? It was. The NAACP, uh, actually Thurgood Marshall, the, the Supreme Court justice who's deceased, he and uh, A.P. Turo, the uh, civil rights attorney from New Orleans, brought that to the attention of the feds in um after it happened, and uh, there was an investigation. They brought it to a grand jury. The grand jury refused to indict. Hmm. So let's get fast forward back to the present and the future. Um, sheriff Ackle was acquitted by a jury two years ago. He's still the sheriff. He's still in charge of policing the streets of New Iberia until recently. What 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 did the community decide to do at, at this awkward moment where this sheriff who's accused of being a notorious racist uh, is, is in charge of policing their streets? Right. He came back. Uh, his trial ended four days before there was a new mayor, Freddie DeCourt, who was elected. He campaigned on a, a pledge to try to uh, restart a New Iberia police department that had been put on the shelf in 2004. There was a back and forth back then and they decided to go with a contract with the sheriff. The court kind of said this is clearly an experiment that has gone awry given what we saw at Ackles trial. So he went out there pitching a 50 cent sales tax increase which in Iberia Parish uh, it doesn't make people too happy but uh, he um, managed to get a vote uh, last year in October of 2017 to, to do this sales tax to start up a new police department to break with Ackle to the extent they can. He still runs the jail, but to really sort of set off on a different course, given all the notoriety, given how, you know, this conflict really between the community and police. And and so that passed and they had a a big rush to get this thing underway by July 1st of this year, uh, hiring 70 plus people, um, really buying everything or borrowing everything, radios, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everything you can think of from scratch to start a new police department. And so for the last about four months, four and a half months, there's been a new Iberia Police Department again for the first time since 2004. What are the early signs? I mean, do they appear to be succeeding at rebuilding trust? They do. I mean, it's a real honeymoon period. They're um, really pushing a community policing philosophy. They're they're out in the streets. There's been a huge sort of campaign and and, and sales job on this uh, with the new police chief and the mayor out there in every neighborhood watch group and really saying, you know, bring us your problems, listen to us, tell us things. You know, the early returns, it's, it's very early. It's only three some odd months. They've had two murders since July 1st. You know, people say the shootings are continuing, but, you know, in terms of 
attitude and, and how people are perceiving this new department on the streets, they're giving them a chance. And, and they, you know, so far the two murders, they've, they've arrested, made arrests and, and, quote, cleared both of them. They've, they've um, you know, rid the neighborhood of a few drug houses. And, and they're, you know, they're trying really hard to show, hey, we're, let's work together. This is a new police department. Well, that's about all the time we have. Uh, thanks for joining me, John. And uh, if you're interested in reading the series, it's called Broken Trust, and it's available on our website, www.theadvocate.com. Uh, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. The Neutral Ground is brought to you by Gardner Realtors, with music provided by David Bodie. We welcome your feedback and your ideas for future shows. Email me at grussell, with two S's and two L's, at theadvocate.com, or call me at 504-636-7437. Hope to see you next week.